Well, let's jump in. Alive and well. How many of you have ever said that, like, I'm alive and well? That's what we're talking about today. I'm alive and well. And uh, that was Paul's kind of, kind of feeling about this stage in his life, even though he's in prison. We're in a series right now. This is the second weekend. Foth kicked it off at this campus last week. I was out in Windsor. And we are talking about in pursuit. What does it mean to be a church that is in pursuit? I love that word because it means you're going somewhere. You're passionate about something. There's two things we are pursuing in 2020, this year. We are pursuing God and we are pursuing people. Say those with me. Pursuing God and pursuing people. That has been what Timberline Church has been about from day one. Everything you see, everything we're wired to do. This past Friday night, the Tim Tebow whole thing of, of helping kids, this place was packed with kids who, who have needs. And thank you, so many of you who volunteered to, to make. Why do we do that? We do that because we're a church that is passionate about pursuing God and pursuing people. Thank you for that. Now, how many of you have ever heard of what is called the Bible Project? It's a series of videos. This started with just a couple guys out in the Seattle area who decided they want to make the Bible easy to understand. Because some of those books are complicated. Leviticus, ever read that one for five minutes and then you moved on, right? Uh, but what they've done is they've done a narration with a little drawing video to help explain what every book in the Bible is. It started with one, then two. Now, I don't know if they've done all of them, but they've done most of them. You can just Google Bible Project and it'll pop up. The one for the book of Philippians is nine minutes long. And it explains the whole book. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at two minutes and 40 seconds of the clip of the first and second sections of what we're talking about today. But it'll give you a feel for the Bible Project. And when you go home later today and this week, you can look at it and watch the whole thing on Philippians. This is a tool, one of the greatest tools in understanding the Bible that I've ever found. So take a quick look. Paul's letter to the Philippians. The church in Philippi was the first Jesus community Paul started in Eastern Europe. And that story is told in Acts chapter 16. Philippi was a Roman colony in ancient Macedonia. It was full of retired soldiers, and it was known for its patriotic nationalism. And so there, Paul faced resistance when he was announcing Jesus as the true king of the world. And after Paul moved on from there, those who became followers of Jesus continued to suffer resistance and even persecution, but they remained a vibrant community faithful to the way of Jesus. Paul sent this letter from one of his many imprisonments, and for a very practical reason. The Philippians had sent one of their members, Epaphroditus, to take a financial gift to Paul to support him in prison. And Paul sent back this letter with Epaphroditus to say thank you and to do a whole lot more. The design of this letter doesn't develop one single idea from beginning to end like many of Paul's other letters. Rather, Paul has arranged a series of short, reflective essays or vignettes and they all revolve around the center of gravity in this letter, which is a poem in chapter 2. It artistically retells the story of the Messiah's incarnation, his life, death, and resurrection, and exaltation. And then in each of these vignettes, Paul will take up key words or ideas from that poem to show how living as a Christian means seeing your own story as a lived expression 
of Jesus' story. So Paul opens the letter with a prayer of gratefulness, and he thanks God for the Philippians' generosity, for their faithfulness, and he expresses his confidence that the life-transforming work that God has begun in them will continue into greater and more beautiful expressions of faithfulness and love. And Paul then focuses on their obvious concern at the moment, which is his status in prison. Being in a Roman prison was no picnic, but it paradoxically has turned out for good to advance the good news about Jesus. So all of the Roman guards, the administrators, they all know that Paul's in prison for announcing Jesus as the risen Lord. And his imprisonment, it's inspired confidence in other Christians to talk about Jesus more openly. And Paul's optimistic that he will be released from prison, but it's possible that he could be executed. And as he reflects on it, that actually wouldn't be so bad because for me, Paul says, life is the Messiah. And so dying would be a gain. For Paul, his life in the present and in the future, it's defined by the life and love of Jesus for him. And so if he's executed, that means he'll be present with Jesus, which would be great for him. And if he's released, well, that would mean he could keep working to start more Jesus communities, which would be better for other people. And so that's what he hopes for. How cool is that, huh? Yeah, I love that. I hope you'll watch all of the entire book of Philippians because you'll learn so much. And then other books in the Bible, but maybe even in your small group this week, when you talk about this, you can watch the whole thing, puts it in the context, and it's really easy to, to learn. Paul is in prison, as you just heard, probably in Rome, most likely. But he's a blogger. He was a blogger before it became a term, right? And, and he's writing these little letters out to these churches. And Philippi is one of those communities where they loved him. They sent him an offering. They cared about him. They prayed for him. And if there's one book in the Bible that inspires me, if I had to like pick one book to have a copy of, if I had none other, other than the Gospels and the life of Jesus, I would pick Philippians. It fits sort of who I like. It's a positive book. It's encouraging. The key word is joy. He says rejoice I don't know how many times. So it's just good news. There's not a lot of correction or you guys are awful at this. What are you doing? Fix this. Nothing's broken. There. It's just a love letter to say I love you guys and I'm, I'm happy to know you. And so as we look at what he says, let's kind of put ourselves in a mindset. For Paul, he's saying, look, I'm in prison, but it's a good thing. If I was released, it would be a good thing, but a lot of good stuff's happening in jail. Do you ever have that either or, and they're, they're both good in the result? Like, like if you said to me, hey, would you like a hot fudge sundae with whipping cream and slivered almonds, or a banana split? I would say, yes. <laughs> either will be great. I wouldn't care. I love them both. And Paul, in a sense, is in this moment in his life where he goes, and this is much bigger than food. He's saying, even to die, I get to be with the Lord. To live, I get to continue to present the message of the gospel. That's a win for me either way. That's a lot of depth. That is a lot of maturity. Let's jump in here. Number one, if you have a, a program today, follow along. Number one is this. What is my perspective? We all have a perspective. Make no mistake about this. Our perspective comes from a variety of things. It comes from how you were raised, how you grew up, your DNA, your temperament. That's why you can have two kids in the same family that respond completely differently to the household they grew up in. 
because they're wired differently. That's just a fact. So your perspective comes from all those experiences that you've had, your knowledge, your education, but mostly your relationships. Have you faced pain from relationships that were important to you? Have you faced joy? Have those relationships been faithful? Your perspective comes from all of these things being pushed into your mind and your psyche and your mental stability. And it comes out in how you see the world. And, and this is important. I want you to see Paul's perspective in verse 12. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy or rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me. They know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. I mean, that's a huge statement, you guys. Really? I would be saying, this matters. <laughs> He's saying, that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. This is his perspective. So I rejoice, and I, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. When I think of Paul sitting in a, a prison cell writing this and his perspective of being put here after being obedient to God, it's a big deal. He's still faithful. He's still loyal. He still loves God. He still loves people. He doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. He's not embittered. He doesn't want to get even. These are all the things that our human nature longs for in our personalities, but not Paul. Uh, he wants to inspire others to see the good in a bad situation. He doesn't even care about the motives of others as long as the gospel is being preached. This is a long-term picture. You guys, do you find it difficult to have a long-term view? I mean, instant gratification is what our culture is pretty much all about. Would you agree with that? I need it now. I, I was in line at a fast food restaurant the other day, literally, and they were training someone. And <laughs> how do you get irritated in a fast food restaurant when it's not going fast enough? And I, I caught myself going, stop this. Who cares? I mean, just stop and enjoy the journey and watch him smash the bread and cut himself. And No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He was doing great and trying to encourage him in that. And I, I just thought to myself, what, what, what could happen to me if I didn't pay attention to my self-gratification needs? And the world isn't all about me and what I want or need. Paul said, hey, it's about them. And let's let that happen in our lives. And then he goes on to say, you know what? Whether I live or die. I, I, I grew up, I've said this, most of you know this in, in Grand Junction, which is like the west slope of Colorado. If you've ever been on I-70 going through there, there is what is called the book cliffs. And they come out of Mount Garfield, which is a bunch of clay dirt. And the water streams off that rocky cliff, and it creates these lines in the mud. And it looks like bookshelves. That's why they call it the book cliffs. Well, I grew up in a home 
that lived at the edge of the book cliffs where I could get on my motorcycle after school and go ride in the desert with my buddies for hours, hours. Limitless, practically, uh, desert riding out there. And I remember so many times, if I was ever leading the way, I would come to these places on these trails and, and it would there be a Y in the road. We wouldn't stop and say, which way should we go? Because both were good. It just meant we got to ride. It just also meant that we got lost a lot of the times. But we like to ride. When you come to the why in the road with God, let me just tell you something. God has made a promise that if you're on this road of sickness, despair, sorrow, pain, he is still with you. He's with you. And Paul knew that, and he got that right. If you're in the why in the road, and it's successful, and it's money, it's relationships, and it's friendship, God is with you. You still need him. So in a sense, regardless of what happens to me in my life, I'm with God. Paul had that right. What a perspective. I, I don't always have that. I'm jealous for that in my life. Number two, what is my priority? After we get a perspective that Paul sees and we challenge ourselves, this, this gets personal. So open your heart up a little bit and think about you and, and your priorities in life, genuinely. In, in verse 20, it says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ. That's like his number one priority. As I have been in the past. And he doesn't want to change that. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Are you kidding me? Better. If I live, I can do more faithful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes it is better that I continue to live. Wow. I mean, that is a big statement. I'm overwhelmed when I think about these choices that I have and how to be content because we have so many options pulling us towards selfishness. I, Bonnie and I, we have a few grandkids. If you've ever taken your kids or your grandkids into an ice cream shop, you know these ice cream shops now that have like, used to be 31 flavors. I don't know if it's even called that anymore, but they have these gallon buckets with all the ice cream out, you know? And, and we said to our five-year-old grandson, hey, you can have anything you want. Pick a flavor. And, and he's like... The line is forming behind us. How many of you are already getting worn out by this? Yeah, I was too. And I'm like, okay, pick one or I'm going to pick one. Let's get, get overwhelmed. I just, I can't, I can't just pick one. And I think sometimes we feel that way when we walk with God and our priorities are, I want to I do this, but wow, I'm overwhelmed with so many options. How can I zero in and live my life in a way that God is honored by every choice that I make in life? Can I just throw this out there? Having a little bit of God is pretty miserable. Like, I, I've watched people who just, just have enough God that they're convicted by some of the habits that they have, and so they're always living in shame. And they don't have enough of God to believe they can be overcomers. 
from some of those things. And it's like walking up on a curb and then in the street. Curb, street, curb, street. And it's just a bumpy ride the whole time. And it's miserable. I would like to propose that you really shouldn't try to date God. Like, okay, I'll see you Friday night. Let's hang out. Oh, wait, no, I'm doing that Friday night. Never mind. Let's, let's make it Thursday. I, I think there's this idea that if we have a little bit of God, it helps our life. It's not true. Walking with God requires a priority that says my life has been mandated. I'm going all in. I'm going to trust God that everything I think about that I believe in. I'm not talking about climbing a mountain, sitting under a tree and holding your hands up and singing Kumbaya the rest of your life. I'm talking about a life that has passion pursuing God and pursuing people and giving yourself to the best things that God has for you. That's in business. That's in care for, for people. I watch some of you. I mean, every, all weekend, every service, I've looked at and I've seen people who you, you work so well. Some of you, I've seen you. I've walked in the store where you work or, or the way you treat your employees and, and the way you live your life. It's inspiring to me. Thank you. Because that's what it is to be a godly person. You make everything just a little brighter, a little better. You care a little more. I want that in my life. I want you to think of a time when you made a commitment that was irrevocable. What, what would that be to you? Any ideas? Yeah, marriage, I hear, I hear marriage. But it's not really irrevocable. There are people in this room who someone walked away from them. I mean, maybe they said, I do. But that's definitely an, an example of something in, in a lot of us, we say that was, that's a big commitment. How about, how about getting on an airplane? Anybody ever get on an airplane? What would happen if you said to the flight attendant right after takeoff, I have made a mistake. I, I think I, I want to go back. They would go, okay, turn the plane around, right? No, they wouldn't. You're, they would say, well, we'll be landing, hopefully, um, in a little while. <laughs> That's, that's the dilemma. I, I had a, a really funny thing. I don't think I've ever shared this before, but it's just a personal story. Bonnie and I had a ministry thing. Uh, New Zealand was on our bucket list as a couple, like sometime in our lifetime. I got a ministry opportunity that was going to pay for our flight to go there and back. And it was like, let's take a week after and hang out. It was an amazing thing. Thank you, God. So we get there, and we're taking this little tour. We get to Queenstown. And on the highway, there's a place called the Queenstown Bridge. Anybody ever been there? What's it known for? Anyone know? Bungee jumping. It's where it started in the world. And it's, it's huge. It's this river that's massive, and this bridge is like way up there. And Bonnie knows Peter really, really well. And we stopped, and we walked out there, and we're looking at this bridge. And, and she said, you're not thinking of doing that, are you? <laughs> I said, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm standing there in this harness around my feet on this little plank this big looking at a river wider than this room but it's this big and literally they asked me this is how precise it was they asked me when I weighed in they wouldn't let you tell them your weight because people lie <laughs> they put you on the scale with your shoes off your coat on everything you're gonna wear and then they asked me this question would you like to touch your hand to the water That's how precise it is. I said, sure. <laughs> Just not my head. I mean, when I went off of that plank, I, I couldn't 
turn around, and I wanted to, because my, my lungs and my stomach stayed at the plank, and I, I was down. That was a commitment. When I think of, of walking with God, and I think of saying, what, what would happen if, if I just gave it all? If I just said, Lord, I'm really going to give you everything that I am. Paul lived that kind of a life. He had this mission. He had this ability to say, I'm doing this. It's all I care about. I eat and breathe this thing. Is this worth living for? I'm inspired by people who make decisions that cost them, that are, are sacrificial. Our, our daughter, Erica, who's our middle child, um, is a runner. She's done some marathons. But her first marathon that she ever ran was the L.A. Marathon years ago. And Bonnie and I, the family, we all went out there. And how many of you have ever been to a marathon where you're there live and you see the start? It's crazy. The L.A. Marathon is massive. It's thousands of people. It's not the Boston, but it's close. It's, it's amazing. And we're sitting there, and we have these points where we're going to see and, and watch her, you know, throughout the race. And she did great. She finished and everything. But, but here's what got me. They released the people with disabilities first. And I'm standing on that street only about a quarter of a mile down from the start. Maybe not even that far because we could see the start line. And all these people, some with man-made legs, ankles, and, and these, these feet that are, are made for walking and running, no arms, people in wheelchairs going faster than I can run. And I, I just, I was over by the commitment and the sacrifice. And I thought, okay, is this like a 500-yard thing? No, no, they're doing the whole 26.2 miles. I mean, they're doing it all. And I still remember, I'm standing next to Bonnie, and I, I just like, I just, I had a tear like coming out my eye. It was just so inspiring. And of course, if I have a tear, Bonnie's sobbing, you know. <laughs> and we're just watching this. Talk about inspirational and how can they do this? And I, I stood there thinking, man, I am so grateful for my health. But right now, I feel like a lazy, no good for nothing, worthless human being. They're doing what? I was inspired. Paul inspires me because he was willing to sacrifice anything in order to promote his priority. And that was to bring the gospel in a meaningful way to people. Man, if I could just have a piece of that. Number three. What is my response to the challenges? I think if we could have the perspective and we could set the priorities, which many of you have done, I, I hope we've done that as a church for sure, then what are the challenges that we're going to face and how do we get through them? In verse 25, Paul is realistic enough to say, knowing all of this, the things we've just said, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. When I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Now, if you, if you just go back to verse 25, if you have your Bible open or your device, or maybe they can throw it back on the screen, it says, knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive. And then this next line. So I can finally climb Mount Everest. So I can build a shop. So I can start a business. So I can finally achieve this, achieve that, do this. Do. No, nothing was him. 
And I'm not saying you shouldn't have goals. I have, I have personal goals. I'm for them. But, but isn't it ironic that when it comes down to the end, he's living to achieve goals that help someone else? You know, years ago, we started talking a lot about this as a church, if you've been here, but I haven't said it for a while. When you walk into a room, does your attitude say, here I am? Or does it say, there you are? Huge difference. Huge. People who are here I am people, it's all about me. I did, I did, I can, I will, I should. Oh, I can top that. You ever been around someone that tops every story you had? What about us being the there you are people in a culture that is very here I am oriented? Let's be a church that's a there you are church. I see you. <laughs> I see that pain. I see that suffering. This is Jesus. I mean, if you read Jesus, honestly, if you read the Gospels, you will see Jesus constantly was saying, there you are, Mr. Blind Man. There you are, you with, with leprosy. There you are, the woman at the well. Tell me, tell me a little bit about your story. Goes by the tree. Zacchaeus, there you are. We're going to have dinner at your house. Jesus was a master at there you are. Let's be those kind of people that are there you are mindset. And let's receive the challenges that come with that. In 1963, five years before his assassination, Martin Luther King Jr. gave a speech that rocked the world. In Detroit, Michigan, he was addressing some of the things that were happening in Birmingham, Alabama. You remember it well. I have a dream. I want to read just a couple excerpts from that speech. I have a dream that one day, right down in Georgia and Mississippi and Alabama, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to live together as brothers. I have a dream this afternoon that one day, yes, one day men will no longer burn down houses and the church of God simply because people want to be free. I have a dream this afternoon for my four little children that my four little children will not come up in the same young days that I came up within, but they will be judged on the basis of the content of their character and not the color of their skin. One of the things he said in that speech that I think rings on and rings true is this. If you've got nothing worth dying for, you've got nothing worth living for. Am I willing to die? What is it that I'm willing to die for, this cause of Christ? Who would I take a bullet for? You know, one of the things about teaching, like, that's kind of a bummer at a, at a church, is when you're teaching, you sort of have to, sort of have to try to live some of this stuff. <laughs> I don't get it all right all the time, but I did. I thought, who would I take a bullet for? And, and I, it's not everybody. I mean, there's a few. I'd definitely jump out of the way. You know, right? you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, just being honest. Just being honest. Sorry, Lord. Work on me. Work on me. 
Reflections for this week. Let me just quickly give you three things. Think about this this week. Number one, where has God placed me? Well, you, you're, in, you're in this neighborhood. You're in this condo. You're in this apartment. You're in this, well, yeah, but I didn't really want to be there. Well, you're there. Paul really didn't want to be in prison, but he was there. Did God use him there? Yes. Did he want to be there? No. So this isn't about where you want to be. It's where you are. It's as, maybe a better question is, where has God given you influence? Whether you want it or not, someone's following you. Someone's observing you. Someone is watching your life. The second thing is people are watching what do they see. They're seeing something, be it good or bad or ugly, they're seeing something. And, and you need to pay attention to that and ask the question, am I worth following? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I, I'm, not, I'm not there yet. I want you to follow Jesus. <laughs> the third and last thing is this. Am I worth following? Am I worth following? This is convicting. A lot of times when I build messages, I stop and I pause and I ask some questions. And this is one of those points that I did that. And I just said, okay, I think I need to, what, what would be the criteria for me that I would say, I want people to follow me for these reasons. Build your own list. I have four things. There's more than four, but the first one was, I want to be true to God all the way to the end. I really do. A second one in my life is that I want to be true to my convictions as I follow God. I haven't always been. I've floundered in that at times, but I, I really am working at that. Now, I will say, my convictions may not be the same as yours about everything, but I want to be true to mine before God. And then a third one would be, I want to be or others-oriented. I want to be there you are in my life. I don't want to live for just me. I mean, there's moments you need to work on your life and you need to focus on you. I get that. That's right. But as a whole, ask the question, are you investing in others? That's where the joy is. That's where the fulfillment is. The last one for me is just, I want to always be someone who has hope beyond the present circumstance. Because I think people are losing that. Good grief. You look at our country right now. Oh, what a mess. But I've, I've said it so many times, and I, I think I'm trying to live it in my heart. God is not sitting up in heaven going, oh, no. I did not expect this. You guys, our hope is beyond our circumstance. It's beyond our financial ability. It's beyond our physical health. Our hope is in the fact that there is an eternity with God. That's our hope. And if you have that truly in you, it changes your current situation and how you view it, no matter how dire it might be.